Hello, everyone. You're listening to Serve Denton Weekly, a podcast where we interview local leaders who are on the front lines of helping those in need in our community to bring you insightful discussion, awareness of local issues, and ways for you to help. I'm your host, Ian Harbour, and today we are talking about the most basic need of them all, food. Food is where everything starts. A lack of access to food is the beginning of a myriad of other issues that people face. But there is more that goes into feeding the hungry than you might realize. That's why I'm talking today with Tom Newell, the board chair for Denton Community Food Center. They are one of the largest food centers in Denton County and are serving hundreds of clients per week. In fact, 60 to 70% of their clients since the coronavirus pandemic began are new. I'm excited for you to glean from Tom's in-depth knowledge around this topic and for you to learn how you can help those who are hungry in our community have food. Enjoy. I am sitting here with Tom Newell, the board chair of Denton Community Food Center. Tom, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. So as we get started, you are, like I said, the board chair of Denton Community Food Center, and uh, you guys are here on our Serve Denton Center campus now in your new building. Tell me kind of about Denton Community Food Center's history, where you guys come from, and then your model as a food center. Okay. The Denton Community Food Center was born out of 10 churches locally in 1974. Uh, 10 churches had independent food rooms, food closets, food pantries in their churches, and the 10 churches came together to form a food center because they thought they could do it better together as a group. So in 1974 till 1984, it was a religious faith-based organization. The board of directors was the 10 pastors of the churches. The 10 churches supported it. The first year they saw 300, they had 300 visits to the, the organization, but it was born out of the 10 churches. Don't ask me the names of all 10. I don't remember exactly right now. I'm not sure I've ever seen a good list, but uh, it was born out, out of that side of things. It could be done better together. And then in 1984, it became a 501c3 kind of or an independent what uh, charity y'all different than based a with a board that's that community-based. Yeah, one of the things I probably failed to mention people. earlier is that it is an all-volunteer-run organization. Now, most nonprofits are heavily volunteer-driven, but the Denton Community Food Center has always been an all-volunteer operation. There are no paid staff members, never has been in the 46 years that it's existed in this community. And it's run continuously for 46 years with no paid people. So to me, that was one of the drawing cards to me when I first got involved with it, it just because it's kind of the rubber meets the road. It's the lowest common denominator. It's people with a good heart that want to make a difference in their community. Uh, it's not based upon who gets paid or what you get paid to do it and all. So. The, it's it's an all-volunteer type of an operation, community-based uh, organization. When I think about people who want to do something good in the community and charity and being involved, I, th- I think food is one of the first things that comes to people's minds, just feeding the hungry, helping people get food. It, it's the bottom of, you know, the hierarchy of needs. you got to have food to survive. Um, but I, I still think when you talk about 
helping people who are in need with food, uh, feeding sure. the hungry. It still can sure. be a pretty abstract idea, and people don't know all that really goes into it. Tell me kind of about the facts around hunger here in Denton County. What is the need, the hunger need here in our community? Okay. Like? And, and I'll plead some ignorance to this whole thing. And my growing up in the community, I didn't really realize that this side of the world existed. You knew there were a few poor people. You knew there were some people that struggled. But the average citizen doesn't really see this. It's maybe a little more visible today because we see homeless people on the street and we think, those are the only people struggling. But in fact, in our current economy, many families struggle. So to kind of frame it in Denton County, 21% of our population lives in what we call hunger insecurity. It means that their income that they're trying to raise their family on, based upon poverty, that they're living at 185% of poverty or less. So uh, to put that more clearly, a family of four making about $42,000 a year is still struggling. They're above poverty, but they're not above assistance as far as that goes. And so that's that's the financial criteria that we use is 185% of, of poverty. This is... Uh, for those of us who have been in the workforce a long time, I remember when I made $2.35 an hour and the first job I had was, you know, $12,000 a year and it seemed like a lot. So right. when I hear a family can't live on $40,000, it's a little hard to imagine, but that's inflation, that's the world, that's the way things have changed a lot. And so it takes it takes a lot to raise a family. Two adults at, at minimum wage jobs struggle to make $20,000. And when you put income, you put rent, you put utilities, you put school age kids and the cost of raising children is, is not inexpensive. Uh, it's, it's a challenge at $40,000 for a family. And so you talk again about the hierarchy of food is, you know, at served Denton, we talk about the ladder of uh, dependency or that not, uh, ladder of self-sufficiency. La ladder yeah. of self-sufficiency. There you go. Um, food is that first rung on the ladder, and then you have uh, housing is the second rung, and then you begin to step up into other things. There are many, many nonprofits in our community that do wonderful work and, and enhance the lives of our citizenry. But the thing that draws me back to the food pantry is that it's that first step. It's the lowest common denominator on the chain of human existence and survival. You can't survive without food. Now, there's a ton of poor nutrition or wrong nutrition. We're not like a third world country where it's starvation. It's more a matter of, of getting the food there. Uh, an interesting statistic about food in the U.S., 40% of the food that's grown and raised in the U.S. is wasted. It never gets to someone for nourishment. Wow. That's just the supply chain. That's the waste factor in restaurants. That's the um, food coming off of the, uh, out of the farm. I always use the example of the conveyor belt. If you can imagine the food being harvested in the field and it goes onto the conveyor belt and the grade A product goes off to the restaurant industry, that's the high quality stuff. And the grade B goes off into the grocery store industry, and that's what you and I as consumers buy in the grocery store. And then grade C and everything else falls off the other end. Well, that's that 40% falls mm. off of the end of the 
of the, the carousel and all. And that's the food that the food banks through Feeding America and, and uh, America's Harvest and a couple of the large national food banking organizations have been able to try to capture that kind of food and divert it back in to the supply chain and get it in the hands of people. It's, uh, it's oftentimes referred to as the ugly fruit. It's not perfect looking. It may be carrots with two or three appendages. They don't look quite as perfect. It's not going to sell as well it, in the not store. A, it's not, you and I don't want to pay money for it in a store. It doesn't look as well. Many of our kids don't even understand that carrots come any bigger than that. They're used to little carrots that are shaved and round and perfect. They've never seen a carrot like Bugs Bunny ate in the commercials and <laughs> cartoons. Most people have never seen yeah. Or the carrots that we get that are kind of large and overgrown. But that kind of product still has nutritional value and can still feed people. And so the struggle that we have in the U.S. is getting the food in the hands of the right people. There's kind of a movement afoot that food is a right, that everybody should be guaranteed food. And that, that's a little hard concept even for me to swallow exactly. I feel like we all have to contribute and we all have to be a part of what's going on. But yes, there are people around us that struggle more than other people do, have a uh, run of bad luck or whatever. But again, with 21% of our population hunger insecure, and four years ago, it was 19% of the population. So the needle is moving the wrong way. Part of that's because of the economy. Part of it's our growth in the area. There's a lot of people come in here looking for jobs uh, because we have such a construction industry and growth industry and all. a lot of people come through here. But sustaining a family is not an inexpensive task. And so food as a right, now that's a little challenging, but food is a necessity. Clearly, housing's pretty close behind it, but some people live without a house to live in. They live in a tent or whatever, but you have to have nourishment. You have to have food. Then there's a whole nother element beyond that of just good nutrition in terms of good food. And there's a lot of our population that because of food deserts and the inability to get to a grocery store close by because of transportation issues or whatever. Maybe there is a car in the family, but the breadwinner who's making the money drives the car to work. And so mom doesn't have a way to get to the grocery store. Those people depend on things like family dollar and the little neighborhood stores where the quality of food is not nearly what it is in a grocery store. You have a lot more uh, preservative things, a lot more boxed things and all, where if you can get to a full service grocery store and you have available fresh produce and all, the nourishing value of that kind of product is so much more. And so there's a big uh, emphasis in our industry right now with food pantries to push fresh produce. And a lot of that food that was wasted in that 40% was, in fact, fresh produce. doesn't look perfect. It's very nutritional. You can clean around some bad spots. It, it works. It feeds people. It nourishes people. And then you begin to step up. Um, Another thing that I like to bring up to people is that the school nutrition program, people thought, well, we started providing free and reduced lunch to kids in school because they're the poor kids. Well, yeah, they may be the poor kids, but that's really not the primary reason it's done. The primary reason that those kids are fed is you want them to be nourished appropriately so that they can develop correctly as young children that you, they have an attention span in the classroom 
so that they're not disadvantaged by not having food and nourishment. If they're asleep in class because they had to share a bed with five other kids at home last night or they didn't get dinner last night and their breakfast that they got at school was it, that nourishment has a lot to do with childhood development, which pays dividends in the long run in our community. And so childhood nutrition programs and providing food go a lot further and break out a lot uh, further down the chain. And so those programs, a lot of people think, are just for the poor kids. But in reality, there's a lot of people in education believe that food and nourishment and teaching them about nourishment and proper nourishment should be as much a part of the educational curriculum as math and science and everything else because they're not learning those practical survival skills. They're just learning junk food kinds of things. And so food deserts create a challenge like that in parts of our community. People don't have a grocery store for miles away. And those things drive the need for supplemental food and food pantries. And again, most of our food pantries are supplemental in nature. We're not sustaining a family. We're giving them food for a week or so that they can combine with their income, that they buy food and they go to other pantries. We don't consider it to be double dipping just because you go to another pantry. You can come to us. You can go to another one next week. You can go to another one elsewhere. There are multiple ones in town. It's all designed to be supplemental and help families get through that process, nourish kids, hopefully develop contributing individuals to our society. And adults the same way. If adults aren't nourished well, they don't do well in the workforce and they're distracted. So food's bigger than just a survival. It's a nourishing, it's a developmental issue. There's a number of things where it all plays in. I th- this is one of the reasons I love talking to you, Tom, is because you're so full of this knowledge around this topic. You're, you're very knowledgeable mm-hmm. around it. And I think one thing that you highlighted really well is how complicated this topic really is. I think sometimes it could seem as simple as someone's hungry, get them food, and that's true, but it really takes us even changing our concept of what it means for someone to be in poverty. I mean, you talking about a family of four that makes $42,000 being within the range of need for, for your services. I don't think that's what people think about when they think about poverty. And that's huge to think about. And then talking about how only 60% of the supply chain actually makes it into our restaurants and grocery stores that come into our homes. And 40% is, is absolutely wasted. I don't think people understand that either and the lack of nutrition, nutrition education in schools and food deserts. Most people have never even heard the term food desert. And so there's so much that goes into it in order to meet these needs. And all of that's made even more complicated right now by the whole coronavirus pandemic (laughs) where, you know, we're having a social distance and food in particular you know, is something people consume has, I'm, you know, there's quarantining processes that have to uh-huh. go through with that. Um, and then the rise of unemployment. And so people, more people need food. How have you seen, and just in the past three months, how have you seen this crisis that we're in right now affect Denton County as a whole, but in particular, you guys over at Denton Community Food Center? Sure. Of course, the demand for food has increased. You would well expect that, and the public has identified that and hears that. Um, That's uh, uh, a factor of the economy downturn. With so many people unemployed, 
so many people reduced hours. One of the calls I was in yesterday, I heard that there are a number of people getting to go back to work now, but they're going back to work at 10 hours a week, not at 40 hours a week. Mm. That helps the employers not have to pay unemployment any longer, gets that bonus off their back but they're not making enough money to survive and take home to their families. They're and caught so, in that in-between. So, there, yeah, there's a there's that area in between. So, yeah, the employer's doing the right thing, or I'm putting them back to work, but I'm not putting them back to work at enough that they can really afford to live off of, but then I don't have to pay the unemployment insurance anymore. And, it, you know, there's a whole political quagmire involved hmm, in, in all of that too. But the economy is, is truly the challenge right now. Um, up until about six weeks ago, I would say that the coronavirus situation was a national health emergency. And about six weeks ago, it kind of crossed over from being a health emergency to being a political football. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just being politicized all over the place. Initially, the government thought, yeah, stimulus checks, let's just throw money at it and that'll fix it. Well, that's a short-term fix in most cases. Um Money can take care of a lot of things, but if you don't have access to that money to use it for something, I mean, grocery supplies became uh, hoarded in some places. It was hard to get product. People were afraid to go out and shop. Yes, we had stay-at-home orders. We tried to isolate. We've changed the format that we run the food center in dramatically so that People don't come in the building any longer. We do it all in drive-through style. We do it all at social distancing. We do it all with touch, as few a touch points as possible. All those things have occurred. But the big thing that's really driving the crisis now is just the economic impact of people's inability to work and their inability to procure the products that they want. Anybody that's used Amazon very frequently lately realizes that it's not nearly as reliable a source as it used to be because things, they can't get the things either. If you walk into a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you find shelves that don't have some of the things that you're looking for. It's not just food product. The whole supply chain of our country, we've gone through all of the backlog of equipment and supplies and things as a lot of industries shut down with COVID. Well, now they're beginning to try to tool back up and get going, and they're going to have to fill that void. Some of the industry, and the food packing industry in particular, uh, just was sharing an example that's close to home, with that there's a, a Bernese community, I believe, of refugees in the Louisville area, that there's a whole community of them there, and they work at a Tyson plant in Sherman, and they ride in a van pool back and forth every day. So they spend an hour on the road to go to Sherman to process the chicken that many of us expect to get in the grocery store. Well, 15 people in a van for an hour, one direction, is not social distancing. Right. And they're seeing an increased corona response in the community in in that particular area where those those workers have gone back to work and they have dif- different processes, but it's that transport piece where they're being exposed. And then they go into the plant and expose a whole lot of people and they expose our food product as well. And then they come back out. And so now they're trying to break up the van pool into smaller groups so that they can social distance. 
things like that that people don't the whole supply chain at first you just never think about yeah it's it's bigger and when when we first got into COVID, it was like but this isn't like a, a hurricane or a tornado came through and wiped out a whole bunch of manufacturing and so um, you know when it goes through the gulf and it knocks out a couple of oil rigs and we say that 10 percent of the national oil flow has been cut off so gasoline prices rise we we get that but with COVID, it was like nothing was really damaged at first it was the human element that was damaged and the shutdown and the ability to process it well now there's beginning to be effects in the food chain as people open back up and get back in there and the whole processing and that's making shortages of product it's driving up the prices of product we've had struggled as food pantries from day one in getting product because there weren't there wasn't product available we do buy some things from the grocery store our primary source is the food bank but the food banks got challenged right off the bat with this increased demand that we had as agencies to get food from the food bank and they had to get their suppliers up and running and the american uh, model for distribution has what are called these vertical channels for supply there's a school channel and there's a retail channel and there's a wholesale channel well some of those channels really dried up and there wasn't anybody buying product in the re in restaurant industry so you thought oh there'll be all this food available from the restaurant industry that we can somehow purchase when the food bank is short well that that vertical market didn't know how to talk to this other vertical market and they couldn't share product and then you began to see the published reports in Iowa where they were dumping milk because the cows never stopped producing the milk. Hmm. The cows had to be milked every day. The milk producer processed the milk. They could put them in the tractor trailer rig to take it to be bottled, but then there wasn't any bottling capacity. And so they were dumping milk. Wow. Well, the USDA has stepped up. U.S. Department of Agriculture has stepped up and is buying some of those resources now and providing those to us is in food pantry we get borden's milk uh, once a week now through that process instead of them dumping it we're getting it because we used to buy that milk from a local retail grocery store and when covid hit all those retail uh, outlets dried up because they couldn't meet the consumer demand so they weren't going to sell anything to us in volume so they cut us off and some of the products that we're used to having as staple products in our food pantry went away and and so we went to the wholesale market think well let's get it from the restaurant industry well the restaurant industry doesn't package things that are very friendly for home use it's all in bulk packaging and all and so you get eggs that are two and a half dozens on a flat but they're not in a carton that it's easy to hand mm -hmm. to somebody so then we had to repackage things and you take on all this extra overhead to try to take advantage of a chain of food that's out there and we've, we've done some very creative things over the last, gosh, I guess it's now we're in our 14th week. It seems like it started a couple of weeks ago, and other times it feels like it's been years since we started this. Seriously, but, though. But we're 14 weeks in now, and we've changed our models several times based upon availability of product. Right now, the food bank is doing pretty good. But then this week, when we got ready to order for next week, all of a sudden, some of these emergency boxes that everybody sees on television being handed out at Fair Park and they're giving every family a box and we've been able to get some of those, they're all gone and we can't get any anymore. So 
and there's no bulk produce to buy either. So now we got a produce shortage kind of a deal. And it's an ebb and flow of, you know, what do we do? Uh, first couple of weeks, we were averaging 70 pounds of food per family. Once we got to those boxes, we grew to 129 pounds of food. Uh, last Wednesday, we saw 111 families, and each family was getting 129 pounds of food because they were getting a produce box and a grocery box, plus what we were giving them. Well, now that produce box is gone, and there's no raw produce to buy to make our own boxes. And so produce next week is going to be kind of on a decline. And it's just the ebb and flow of the market, the price of product, the availability. And so the manufacturing process and the processing process, COVID has affected that. And that's beginning to affect the supply of product. It's affecting the price of product. Um, so it's a challenge. And COVID is not a short-term thing. People keep thinking, it's a virus, we're going to get over it, we're going to get a cure, and we're going to move on. Well, the economic impacts of COVID far exceed any health concerns at this point. Once we master the health part of it, the economic impact that it's had with our country with all the shutdowns and layoffs, and there's a lot of businesses retooling and thinking they're not going to hire as many people, and they don't need to have office buildings with all these people that can work at home now and all. And the whole concept of how our economy is structured is being changed. And that's going to have a downstream effect on how long this lasts and how we deal with it in the future. So that's, it's a, it's pretty interesting study. This is not what I got into. This was not on my bucket list when I retired. I just wanted to come help move some boxes and do some stuff, but it's been a whole educational experience in the last 14 years to learn about supply chain and how to run a pantry and how to acquire product and how to increase our capacity and all. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, that's what makes it so difficult is because we really have no idea when the health part of this health crisis is going to be over. And that's going to determine when the economic part finishes, which I mean, that's going to go on even longer and indefinitely, like you're saying. And clearly this has caused so many issues just in the whole thing. One, you're starting out at 21% hunger, food insecurity, uh, and now you're moving up with unemployment. Who knows what it is today since all this started? Um, and then you're facing supply chain issues. and it, It's just created a mess for everybody, but you're really seeing it in, in the level of need that's coming in versus the food that you're actually getting. So I, I'm sure I can imagine that there's a lot of people listening to this right now who they hear everything you're talking about and saying, we've got to do something to help that, to, to make that better. And they want to get involved and help out in some way. How could they help out and get involved with sure. you at Denton Community Food Center or in any way to, to help people get food during this crisis? Well, of course, Acquiring food, uh, food donations. Initially, we kind of discouraged food donations because of the COVID um, infection issue. And, it, and we do, in fact, still um, quarantine food that comes in. Donated food now still has to be quarantined for seven to nine days. Depends upon which day of the week you wake up as to what the CDC says, whether it lasts for a day, a week, and a month. But that food touched. And if you go in a grocery store today and, and look, many of our consumers are still 
touching everything on the shelf, looking at it, putting it back on the shelf and all. And you're kind of going behind those people going, I don't think I want all that stuff that they've been touching that I don't know about. Yep, but I saw that just the other day. That <laughs> it's, felt it's, the same it's like, shouldn't you be a lot more like, let's just look at the labels and figure and take the one you want and go on this. But so many people have been isolated. Going to the grocery store is a big thing anymore, I guess. Now it's the one outing that you kind of have to do. Yep. And you don't get to do a lot of other things. The whole social scheme has been disrupted. But um, donating food is a, is a good option. Uh, and our ability to buy food for a while was a challenge. So donated product was good. At the same time, we didn't want to take too much of the food out of the grocery stores uh, and, and have it donated and take it away from other parts of the consumer market because all it was doing was driving prices up and driving demand up and all. Um, we've kind of gone from a lull to we had a lot of donations for a while. Now they've kind of begun to level off. Donations are always a, a good thing to do. Cash is the most universal best thing to do. And, and let me qualify cash because people always say, well, everybody always wants money. Throw money at it solves all problems. Well, the, the real key to money for us is that through the food bank, when we can spend the money at the food bank, we can take $10 that you donate and go get $70 or $80 worth of food. It's that multiplying factor that people aren't aware of. That First off, a lot of people think the food bank gives us the food for free. Well, that's not the case. We actually buy the food, but we're not really buying the food. We're buying their operating overhead because they have staff, they have equipment those kinds of things. So we pay a small amount for the food. About 90% of the food they distribute, they get for free through this gathering that 40% out of the fields that's been lost and, and through national contracts and things like that. But dollar-wise, we can multiply the dollar like you can't as a consumer. You can go to the grocery store and bring us $10 worth of food, and that's wonderful. We're always happy about that. But if you bring us the $10, we can multiply it when we can use the food bank seven, eight, nine times sometimes. And, and then it additionally, it gives us the flexibility to buy what we need to fill in the gaps. If we get, for instance, green bean and corn, green beans and corn are the two biggest things that people donate. They just seem to be mainstream things. So when you have a big food drive, you get a ton of that. Well, you need to fill it with other voids. And so the cash also gives us that flexibility to fill the voids as we need. So people can be involved by giving, either giving food or giving money. Currently, because of the virus situation, we're not taking in new volunteers. So many people want to donate their time, and that's a wonderful thing, and I wish we could do that right now, but we're simply for control and health situation. We're not taking new volunteers in. Uh, but volunteering, and there's a ton of people with time to volunteer right now too, and it's sad not to be able to use those volunteer hours, but volunteering will come back around at some point in the future. Hopefully this will be a wake-up call or an educational call for people to learn more about it, and ultimately when we get back to normal, whatever the new normal is going to be, that they may be more interested in volunteering and doing doing things like that, but Right now, cash is the best thing. Food product donated, yeah, you can bring it to us when we're here and we'll store it and, and, and quarantine it and then we'll sort it out and put it back into the chain. But 
most of the food that we distribute is food that we purchase because of the, the sheer volume of it. I hope that this time long-term, when we're talking about long-term effects, <laughs> does actually bring people together. And it is sort of a wake-up call of there's more need in my community than I ever imagined. And I hope that I can be a part of that in order to help other people. And, you know, you mentioned just giving cash because you guys can do more with that than, than we can. And, you know, I think about that. And that's one of the things I've always loved about the food center was how much you can multiply people's dollars. And, you know, when, when people want to help out, it's never glamorous just to, write a check or fill out a form online. People want to do a food drive, which again, like you said, is a great thing to do or volunteer yeah. their time, which is always great. They but want the touch piece. Yeah, they exactly. Want, they want to see. Yeah. But, you know, it, I, I think it's important to highlight that how much nonprofits can do with funding. You know, when you give the money to the organizations who already have the connections and can fund the, right. the staff and the professionals to do it right, then it does go a really long way. And so I think, and you guys are a great example of that, being able to take $1 and turn it into 7 or $8. Yeah, and when you combine that with the fact that we're not taking any of the money to pay staff salaries, and right. we, own, we own our facility, we do have to pay the electric bill and pay some expenses, but basically donor dollars for us go directly to what we're all about and the mission of food. We're not paying salaries. There's no, you know, I don't have a $250,000 a year, you know, CEO job or anything <laughs> like that. There's nobody paid in the organization. So that makes us, we're a little unique in that regard. Uh, other organizations have staff. You need that in certain cases. But one of our strengths is that we're all volunteer driven, you know, people that really want to, and so you can rest assured that your donor dollar is going towards what it is that you're giving it to and it gets used well in the community. The need in the community, 61% uh, of the people that we're seeing are first timers, have never been to a food pantry. So there's going from 3% unemployment to 15 was the last number I saw and it's gonna go higher before it comes back down. 61% and we've seen this week after week 61% of the people this week are new. Next week, it's another 61%. And some of those other people may be back the week after, but they only get counted new once. But we're seeing that pattern, 69, 59. Yeah, 61 to 59 is kind of the range it's been in. But a lot of new people, a lot of first-timers, and that's that economic issue and, and temporary need of, uh, people home with kids and parents can't work and the whole back to school issue and all those kinds of things. But 61% of the people we've seen, we've given out in three months, the volume of food that we would normally give out in four months. I don't have the numbers on the wall here to quote you, but the numbers that we've done, uh, it's in the, in the range of about 113,000 meals worth of food that we've given out just recently. Wow. And last year was uh, 429 tons of food, which generates, I get my numbers right, I have to have them in front of me to, to work with, but it's not an insignificant number, the volume of people seeking assistance and really that need the assistance in the economy right now just to kind of get by a stopgap. And for those of us in the nonprofit world right now, although we're trying to cure the virus and then cure the economic ills, we know that 
this is going to carry us into 2021, the new reset in the economy. For any of us that were here in 2007, 2008, when the economy tanked, and that was my first year in this, and I got trial by fire through that experience, this is far worse than what we went through then in terms of the new norm and how it's going to reset. And so we know we're going to be dealing with this. There's a lot of different grant programs and government funding that are good until June, they're good until August, they're good until December. But most of us that are in the trenches realize that we're going to be dealing with this into 2021, maybe beyond. I'm, I'm hoping that we can clear it by 2021 and can kind of get back to a new norm. But um, it's a, a very interesting situation, unprecedented times. The fact that it's not just a U.S. problem, but it's an international problem. It's swept across the country. And all the regions are seeing these same problems, food insecurity, uh, housing issues, uh, foreclosure rates are going to go up. There's going to be more people renting, just all kinds of economic impacts and all. And so we're, we're trying to keep mind and body fed and kind of keep people on track to be able to deal with all these other struggles and issues that they have because it's pretty, it's pretty overwhelming for a lot of people and especially first-timers that have never been through this and have never sought public assistance and don't know. They're very proud. They don't want to seek it or they just never have. And it's a, it, it varies. Uh, I'm, you know, it's just, it's an amazing system. The Serve Denton model uh, we are so fortunate that we opened that new facility in February, just like six weeks before COVID hit. <laughs> right before. Because <clears throat> if we were still trying to work out of our old location on Sycamore, we probably would have just had to close because there's no way we could have functioned and done our drive through facility. That part of town over there is under road construction and all kinds of things, and we just couldn't do it. We're so fortunate to have opened this facility have the support of Serve Denton and have this place to work out of here. But then beyond that, the cooperation between the other Serve Denton agencies, Grace Like Rain, Giving Hope, and other people that are here that support families and other very specialized elements, all of that's come together and we've all worked together and this whole Serve Denton model has just been a tremendous benefit and has really played out the whole role of how we can bring these things together in community. And Denton is very fortunate to have a model like this. And Sir Denton's model is the number two biggest one in the state of Texas. Denton's not that big a place, but this <laughs> is the number two of this model in, in the state at least. But it's been a tremendous asset for all of us and it's served our community well. We will come out stronger in the end uh, there's going to be a lot of tough times in between, but I think we'll we'll all come out stronger, hopefully on the other side and benefit from it. And what the new norm is, I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll, we're uh, working our way through. I think that's a good place to leave it, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on. You sure. guys are doing incredible work Thank at Den Community Food Center, serving everybody. I know that you just opened your new facility and then you and changed your model to do it and then you immediately had to change your model again to meet uh, the needs but you guys have done a great job and thank you so much for coming on the talk sure today. thank you have a good day as you can tell 
There's a lot that contributes to hunger in our community. It's not as simple of an issue as we think it is. And as you heard Tom say, the needle is moving in the wrong direction. As Denton County grows, hunger is growing with it. And that's why you are needed in the fight to keep food on people's tables. If you found this conversation helpful, you can share it with a friend, family member, coworker, or on social media. You can get new episodes automatically each week when you subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Serve Denton on social media. Just search for Serve Denton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, thanks for listening.